Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya wa al-mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd fa'audhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajim bismillahir rahmanir rahim iqra' bismi rabbika al-lazhi khalaq khalaq al-insana min alaq iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram al-lazhi allama bil-qalam allama al-insana ma lam ya'alam sadaqallahun alayin azim my dear respected, most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, I would like to humbly request some of our brothers who are scattered towards the middle, the sides, and towards the back, to if they could stand up and please make their way forward. Allah bless you. Allah increase you in your levels of ibadah, your levels of sincerity within your worship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept your attendance today. We begin by first thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in his house, to worship him, to glorify him, to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. And we pray that Allah azza wa jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. From the very beginning, from the very inception of Islam, our religion has always been one of knowledge based intrinsically within knowledge. Knowledge not only of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowledge not only of uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his prophetic way, but knowledge of the world around us. Our religion encourages that, our divine book encourages us to look at the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many, many countless verses of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and look at the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within his creation. You see, everything that we see is a testament to the divinity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that there's a divine creator who has brought this thing into being. And no other creation, no other creation is such a powerful indicator of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his divinity, his divine power than human beings themselves. We are the, as, Quran, as the Quran describes us, div, uh, the most perfect creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which has been designed perfectly in the most beautiful way. So we are the best answers to those individuals who ask where is Allah in terms of whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists does Allah exist or not does, is there a divine being we are the answer for that and now it's imperative that we know of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depends on us knowing him depends on our uh, our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depends on the amount of knowledge that we have of him and the best way that we can make ourselves or we can connect ourselves better with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa something that we seldom do right we don't often open up the Quran to affirm our connection with our Rabb we open up the Quran when it comes to Ramadan time we don't read about the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa to know our Prophet better 
knowing and understanding that the Prophet ﷺ is the one who knew his Lord the best. We don't do that. We might attend a gathering here and there where someone is talking, where a scholar is, is speaking about the, the greatness of the Prophet ﷺ every once in a while. But never do we do it to affirm our creation with our Rabb. And it's imperative that we do so. It's imperative upon each and every individual that they get to know their Rabb better. This is something which is uh, a fundamental part of our belief system. Now if you look at the companions of the Prophet wasallam, and we look at our knowledge-based ba- knowledge religion, our religion which has been founded fundamentally around knowledge, we look at the companions of the Prophet wasallam, and these were individuals who lived in desert Arabia. Right? They knew nothing more than their, their customs and their traditions. Some of them rooted in ignorance. Others knew about their language. They knew about their arts and craft. Whether they were shepherding animals. Or whether they were, whether they were trading with the Persians and the Syrians. That's all they knew. They didn't know anything further than that. And the Prophet ﷺ encouraged every one of them to seek knowledge. The Prophet ﷺ told them, that, Look, the uh, knowledge isn't only for those individuals who seek to have a communication with the Persians or the, or, or the Syrians. Knowledge isn't only for those individuals who want to learn poetry and, and, and uh, then spread that poetry among the people and earn money from it. Knowledge is something that is incumbent upon every single male and female. Each and every individual. All of you need to know about your Lord. All of you need that pathway to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu, the Prophet sallallahu told us that he who takes out a path towards knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up a path for him to Jannah. So it's imperative that each and every one of us knows that. Each and every one of us feels that connection with our religion based firmly in knowledge. Now, when we look at our madaris and our education centers, our centers of education, our institutions, and we'll see that although none of them existed in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ stressed on education. Later, the, the khulafa, the honorable leaders, they made it, they took it upon themselves to establish these institutions. The likes of the uh, Qarawiyin here in, in, in Morocco, the likes of Al-Azhar in Cairo, the centers of learning in Baghdad, the seats of learning within the Masajid in Baghdad. And why was this? It was to encourage each and every child to learn about his or her religion. Now, the same fundamental belief system is one that we must also have now we're living in a day and age which is which has become technologically advanced you know a year in year out more technology is being produced the world is becoming more tech technology aware and technology savvy and it's imperative that we move on with the times right those individuals perhaps 20 years ago never knew of a mobile phone now you won't find an individual who doesn't have a mobile phone irrespective of their age. Why? Because people move on with the times. In exactly the same way, 
we need to educate our children about the Quran, about their religion, about their Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and we have to do it in accordance with the day and age that we live in. Now, see, our madaris are not going to be like the madaris that existed a thousand years ago. Yes, fundamentally, the teaching will be the same: the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, akhlaq, morality, ethics. They're going to be the same. But our teaching evolves over time, doesn't it? 40 years ago, capital punishment within schools was rampant 40, 50 years ago. Teachers were allowed to hit children. Today, it's outlawed. It's unacceptable for one to do so. So teaching evolves over time. Teaching, teaching techniques evolve over time. And we must also learn from that. You know, we're still living... You know, in our, the, the golden age of Islam, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th centuries, when all those advancements, medical advancements were made, we had the greatest scholars. Islam was the center of the world. Islamic institutions were institutions where people from the West came over to Baghdad to study about knowledge and science. You know, we're still living in that time and we're, we're reminiscing about those days. No, we need to move on. We need to look at what we have in front of us. And in front of us we see the present and we see the future. The present is ourselves. Each and every one of us must seek that knowledge which the Prophet ﷺ told us is our path to Jannah. For the future we have to educate our generations. We start off by educating our own children. We have to teach them about the Quran. We have to teach them about the Sunnah. In exactly the same way, the importance that you and I give to secular education. We send our children to school every morning, 8.30. We pick them up at 3.30. Throughout the day, Monday to Friday, they're in school. We make sure they never miss a day. We make sure they're never late. And then we talk to them afterwards about their education. What did you learn today? Oh, I learned this about this. I learned science. I was, I was studying geography. I learned about, about the world around us and the different countries and the different continents. And you're constantly encouraged yourself by the, by the education of your child. Now let me ask you the question. Is the same importance given to Islamic education or religious education? Do we have that same mentality when it comes to the Islamic education of our children or is, our, or is the Islamic education of our children just reserved for specific days just enough for them to learn how to read the Quran that's not the fundamentals of faith just learning or merely learning how to read the Quran it's so much more than that it's so much more than that how many of us you know send our children to private tutors in order for them to pass their GCSEs, in order them, for them to pass their SATs and get into good grammar schools. How, how many of us struggle and strive day in and day out in order for us to earn that money to pay for those tuition fees? 25 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds an hour. So, that, so they get into those good schools. And now, I'm not telling you that's not something that you shouldn't be doing. I'm telling you that's the right way to go. You should be concerned about the education of your child. 
But what I'm trying to say is that be just as concerned with the religious education of your child as well. Because there will come... You see, in the time of the, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu in the time of... Specifically in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala an. Now the Quran was comp- compiled over 23 years. Parts of it were written down. Most of it was preserved in the minds of those companions of the Prophet sallallahu who had learnt it by heart, who had memorized it by hearts. Um, the Prophet sallallahu taught it in that, that the rich oral tradition of Islam began with the Prophet sallallahu where he would recite verses and people would learn them. And that continued in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala and after the passing of the Prophet sallallahu Then there came certain battles in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr where many of the Hufad, many of the, uh, the memorizers of the Quran, those who had preserved it within their chests, began to pass away. And the likes of Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr, the leaders of the Muslims, became concerned that perhaps if people who memorized the Quran passed away, we lose a portion of the Quran. What do we do? And then they took the decision upon themselves to compile the Quran in book form so it remains preserved. So that future generations can learn from it. They gave it that importance. And they understood that there's a chance. There's a chance that if these individuals keep dying, if these individuals keep passing away, if more people are becoming martyred, there may possibly come a time when the Quran is, or when a portion of the Quran, when parts of the Quran will, uh, will leave them. They won't, have, they won't be able to have access to. So they took that initiative to compile the Quran in book form as it exists today. You see, we're in that phase right now where if we don't preserve our traditions, if we don't preserve our religious education and preserve them in the hearts of our children, we don't teach our children, we don't pass on that heritage to them, it's eventually going to become lost. The Prophet ﷺ told us, knowledge isn't, take, knowledge isn't taken away from the people by the taking away of their books. Knowledge isn't taken away from the people by the, the non-access to education materials. If that was the case, then uh, knowledge should have been taken away from the Muslims during the ransacking of Baghdad by the Mongols, where all of the books of the Muslims were either burnt or thrown into the river. They were manuscripts. They weren't copies of books. They were manuscripts. That knowledge we might have studied and thought to ourselves, well, well, that knowledge has been lost forever. The Muslims have fallen two, three, four hundred years behind. No. We look at the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ told us, knowledge isn't lost by the taking away of those things. Knowledge is taken from the people by the taking away of the ulama. When the ulama and the scholars begin passing away, that's when knowledge is taken away from the people. And we notice that now, we have mountains of knowledge in this world who are continuing to pass away many of our great scholars, and we think to ourselves, does that knowledge that they have, or they had, has that knowledge been preserved? Have they taught everything they knew 
to their people because that was their duty. And no doubt, they would have fulfilled their duty. But have we taken it from them? Have we preserved it in our own hearts? Have we preserved it in the hearts and the minds of our children? This is something that we need to ask ourselves. And we need to concern ourselves with ultimately. You see, your children know their ABCs at the age of three and four, even before they go to school. But how many of your children, before they come to the madrasa, know alif, ba, ta, tha? Do you know why that is? Because the importance that you've given to your children is on a certain specific type of education. And there's a complete lack of importance on their religious education. You don't think to yourself when you're at home that why should I teach them their ABCs? When they go to school at the age of five or the age of six, they learn them themselves. No, you teach them and you train them beforehand. You sit there with them and you read to them. You read them their bednight stories, bedtime stories at night. You read to them as often as you possibly can and you try to teach them because you understand, you know that this is the future. Education. The Quran tells us, وَأَن لَيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى Insan, man will only get that which he struggles for, which he strives for, which he makes an effort for. You see, we make an effort with our children we're going to reap the rewards and the benefits of it thereafter. In fact, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas in the commentary of this verse, he states a statement from the Prophet sallallahu who is reported to have said, That indeed the child is from the effort and the struggle of the father. The effort and the struggle that you put in for your child, that's what you're going to see man manifested in your child. And the lack of effort, you'll see that too. But most of our effort is tailored towards secular education. We should reserve at least some time, that's all I'm asking, to teach them about their funda the fundamentals of their faith, to teach them about their iman. Because there's going to come a time, if you don't teach them about their religion, if you don't read, you see, in order for your child to walk, what do you do? Do you just stand your child up there and push him and say, go? At the age of 1, 2 or 15 months or 16 months, whenever your child started walking, think back to those days. Did you just pick up your child and say, walk, go on, Allah has given you legs, walk. Or did you hold their hand right, and, and have them take a few steps beforehand? Did you put something, did you lean them up against something to make it easier for them to walk? You did that, didn't you? You took their hand and you helped them to walk. In exactly the same way, when it comes to their education, it's your duty to take their hand and encourage them to walk forward, to make their way forward, to think about the future. It's your duty. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, when they get to a certain age, they can do it themselves. We don't have, a, we don't have to give any attention to that. No, it's your duty. You're going to be questioned. The Prophet ﷺ told us, that the best thing that a man can give to his child is a good name and good manners. And good manners are rooted within education. You can't have manners without being educated. You can't have manners without knowing something. 
without having knowledge of something. So it's imperative that we do that. We take the hands of our children and we teach them their religion. Because there will come a time if you don't give your children or you don't give that, that, that their religious education any importance, then you will be from among those and many of them who, who I've conversed with and I've spoken to, many of these parents who say, look, our children have gone to universities, they've gone into colleges, they're questioning their faith. They're saying, is there even a God? You're talking about Islam? We don't believe in God. You see, there's going to come a time when those children will question, why? Why will they question? Because they haven't been taught. Because their parents didn't take that initiative. Their parents were too worried about other things. And none of us want that for our children. Not a single parent wants that for their children. And if you don't want it for them, stop preparing now. From a young age. See, that's what our madrasas were all about. Send them to madrasa. Give the madrasa the same importance that you give to their school and secular education. In exactly the same way when they come, at, when they come home after school and you talk to them about what they've learned. Talk to them about what they've learned in the madrasa. I'll give you an example of how lackluster and how lazy we are. Now this, this, is, this is an incident, incident that will never take place in, in a school environment here in the UK. It would only take place in a madrasa. I, I came across a child whose parents had enrolled him here into, into the madrasa. And this child was 11 or 12, 12 years old at the time. And this child had been studying for, you know, had been to madrasas before, had studied privately with private tutors before. And the mother who enrolled him into the madrasa, she said to me that, you know, I, 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 and there's a question on the application form, you know, what are they currently studying? And she ticked, she, he's currently studying the Quran, so he's able to recite the Quran. How many surahs or juz have been memorized? And she wrote down something there too. But nevertheless, we always sit the child down in front of us, the teachers here, and we take a test. We, we, we try to, to, um, to assert what level they're at so we can place them into the subsequent classes that is tailored to them. And once this child sat down in front of me, and I asked him, I said, where are you currently reading? He said, I'm on the 15th or the 16th juz of the Quran. I said, okay, he had his marker there. I said, can you open up where you last read? And he opened up where he last read. And I said, can you start? And he recited the Dawud and Basmala, and then he just stopped. And I said, wherever you're from, Wherever you are, anywhere on the page, just keep, just, just recite, that's it. And he wasn't speaking. And I said, what's wrong? And he wasn't answering me. So I went back all the way to Surah Baqarah. I opened up an Lam meme. I said, start reciting from here. And he couldn't. At that point, I'm beginning to realize, right, this child cannot recite. So let's see, every child, almost every child, especially one who's reached the age of 12, because at the age of 12, you're supposed to be reading your namaz anyway, right? So you should know his Surah Fatiha. So I opened up on Surah Fatiha on the, following page, on, on, on the previous page. 
And I said, recite Surah Fatiha because at least he knows it by heart. What will happen with children? They will keep their, their finger on Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen all the way until they're reciting Waladdalin because they'll know it by heart. So we will be able to gouge, we'll be able to see how much they've learnt or what they know. And he didn't even know that. And then I asked him, are you able to recite this? He said, no. So I gave him the Qaeda and I taught him the, the alphabet or half of it at the time from Alif to Ya and I gave him the Qaeda and I said we're going to do this for the next couple of months in order for you to be trained uh, to recite the Quran without this you won't be able to recite you have to go back to the fundamentals right and I called up his mother and I said to his mother I've given him the Qaeda and this is the level that he's at he's unable to recite the Quran she said that's impossible her words were this, that's impossible. Six years from the age of six, he's been studying. And at the age of six, he finished his qaida. Imam Saab, you made a mistake. You made a mistake. You know what it was? You tested him on perhaps the 15th juz where he's reciting. He doesn't know that. Right? You need to teach him as he goes along. And then you tested him on what came before. He's already forgotten that. And I said, look, if he's able to recite the 15th juz of the Quran, he's able to recite the first juz, he's able to recite the 30th juz. Right? It doesn't get progressively harder as you move along. That's not the way the Quran works. If you're able to recite, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, you're able to recite the last chapter of the Quran, Kun A'udhu Bi Rabbin Nas. It doesn't get any difficult. It's exactly the same. And I said, look, believe me when I'm telling you this. And she said, that's impossible. I, go, I said to her, okay, tell me this. In the last six years that he's been studying in madrasa, how many times after he's come back from madrasa, if even at all, have you opened up the Quran with him and said, my son, read so I can listen to your recitation. Tell me what you've been learning. So that's the imam's job or that's the teacher's job in the masjid. You know, that, that was not for me to test. You know, I dropped him off at the mosque and the local masjid should have taken care of that education. And I said, well, that's where you've gone wrong. You see, if the imam or the teacher or anybody else, for that matter, the educator, is not doing their job, it's your duty to bring that up. It's your duty to identify that. You see, when you look at, when you look at schools to send your child to, and I've signed forms for faith schools that Muslims want to send their children to. Why do you think they send them to those faith schools and not the normal state school which is down the road perhaps closer to them? They'll make that effort to send them to a better school. They'll go through all of that effort to send them to a better faith school. Why? Because they know that that's the best environment for their child. That's the best place to foster their minds and their bodies in that critical learning phase. They understand that. They want the best education for their child. So in exactly the same way, why didn't you do that when it came for the madrasa? Why did you just ship him off at 5 o'clock or at 4 o'clock for a couple of hours and treat it like a daycare center and never actually sit down with your child and say, what have you studied? What have you learned? You see, this is something that we're lacking in. I remember my mother, and my mother was unable to recite the Quran. My mother came into this, to this country when she was 14 years old. 
prior to that, in, 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 in the village in Kashmir, she hadn't been to a madrasa, she hadn't studied and she hadn't learned how to read the Quran. But by Allah, I never knew it. I never knew that she was unable to read. Because ever since I went to the masjid and I, I went to the madrasa to study, she would sit down with me and say to me, tell me what you've read. And I would sit there terrified, thinking my mother knows all of this, I better not make any mistakes. Never did she let it on to me. that She didn't know. She hadn't learned how to recite the Quran. She sat down with me every single day after madrasa and said, sit down. Tell me, what have you done today? And I would say, look, I've learned how to read Fatah. Alif Fatah A. Ba Fatah Ba. And my mom would say, well done. Very good. You need more practice. Yet she didn't know it herself. You see, it's our duty. It's, our, it's your duty as parents to ensure the education of your children. To ensure that that heritage continues. It's your duty to ensure that they've recited the Quran. It's your duty to make sure they know about their religion. If they don't know how to read their namaz and they're 15 years old, I'm sorry, you've made a grave error. You've made a mistake. You haven't put the effort in if they're 15 years old and don't know how to read the namaz. You see, the, it all depends on the effort. The effort, the struggle that you put in, that's going to be manifested and reflected in your child. I've taken enough time uh, as it is. I pray sincerely that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran, the blessed sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give each and every one of us uh, the ability uh, to discern what's right and what's wrong for our children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant the best uh, of, of both worlds to them insha'Allah ta'ala.